You are listening to Alta4.co. End your programming, do things that matter. All right, welcome to episode number two. Today I'm going to talk about uh, traveling best practices since uh, I'm in Spain, as you hear this, at least if you're listening live. Um, I thought I would talk about tips and traveling and things that I've learned um, over my life. I've done a lot of traveling, actually. I was a Delta Platinum member back when that was the highest tier. Um, I've even gotten Christmas cards from hotels. So uh, I've learned quite a bit and uh, thought I would pass some of that information along. Um, I just thought I would also bring up my slant here. So when we're traveling, you know, we're all in this together. I'm always amazed and sort of saddened too, quite frankly, with how people lack self-awareness when they're in an airplane. It's like uh, sometimes the manners and the couth just disappear. But, uh, you know, so so my tips and things are going to be towards my bias, which is really, um, you know, how to have your trip be the best trip not just for yourself, but for everyone else around you too. So let's talk about uh, getting to the airport. Um, I live quite a ways away. I live over an hour in driving distance with no traffic. So that limits the amount of options that I have to actually get to the airport. There are shuttles. Um, You can also hire a limousine service, uh, but they're pretty expensive quite frankly so 99.9 percent of the time I don't know I have ridden the shuttle but most of the time I end up driving there Um, so first thing I wanted to say is seems obvious and self-evident but allow enough travel time when considering traffic patterns Um, driving through the big city you know and not living there may you may not have enough or as much awareness, but Google can give you some helpful tips if you put in your starting time uh, on how much time to allow for. I also have to say that I have missed my flights more than once, not always from traffic, but the last time I did uh, last year was because I didn't account for traffic, and it was kind of an off time, to be honest. Um I've also missed my flight from sleeping in. So, you know, it happens to all of us. And if you travel a lot, then um, it's going to happen from time to time. But there's an option to park your vehicle. Um, You can use the airport sanctioned parking lots. uh, Or there's also places where you can spend the night at a hotel and leave your car there. They generally compare about the same price-wise between a hotel stay and leaving your car versus um, parking in the long-term lot if you're there about a weekish. Most of these places do have a limit on how long you can leave your car, so that's one thing to consider. Uh, there are also private lots as well, which I think also offer comparable rates. So everyone's competing basically against the airport. But I park in the airport parking lot primarily because the shuttles are routine. So if you stay in a hotel, 
certainly you can get a shuttle to and from the airport, you know, to get there in time. But you may have to call them in order to get picked up, uh, for instance. And they may run, you know, on the hour or they may run, um, you know, at some sort of frequency that may not fit for your optimum time. So the other thing, the other reason why I don't often stay in hotels is because, um, you don't save that much time truthfully. So if it takes me an hour and 15 minutes to get to the airport and I have to leave an hour early because I'm taking the airport shuttle, then I really haven't saved any time at all. The only thing that you really save is you're organized and ready to go, I guess, at that time when you get on that shuttle. So you risk, you know, you eliminate the traffic risk potentially, but, um, one other thing to watch out for is, and it doesn't seem to be so bad in Portland, but you can have your gas siphoned. Uh, there have been catalytic converters stolen, smash and grab thieves. So one, don't leave anything in your car that's valuable. You know, I think that seems self-evident, but firearms, other expensive things, things that are visible, but I would also probably not go into the lot with a full tank either. I, you know, I, I want to have as as much gas to get home essentially as, is what I want to have, but you know, you can't always plan that. So be aware of that. I think the risks are much less in the airport parking lot than they are in the other ones. Um, even heard of cars getting stolen actually out of the parking lot. So I think it's a little safer when there's more people around. That's why I tend to park in the airport. All right. So next topic is uh, picking your luggage. So the first thing I want to say is, you know, depending on what carrier you're flying, um, there are different costs. So, and you may in fact, you know, be a frequent flyer, in which case you probably don't care about any of these tips, but Oftentimes, if you have status on on an airline, your check baggage is free. Um, but other airlines may charge you for carry-ons and so on and so forth. So check your costs, and that will help you determine your plan. Um, what I wanted to talk about in terms of I'm now I'm speaking mostly of checked lag luggage, but be aware that there's a weight limit on that luggage that you're checking. So um, with Delta, which is the one that I'm most familiar, it's, I think it's, it's 50 pounds. And I think that's pretty universal. If you pack a bag weighing more than that, they're going to charge you a lot more money. So it may be worth packing two bags rather than one, uh, because the excessive baggage fee is more expensive than checking a second bag, which is, generally permissible on on all flights uh, with that make sure your luggage has distinguishing characteristics on it um you know particularly if you have a black bag there's a huge sea of black bags coming out on the conveyor um you know i, I guess i've never really ran into a duplicate situation between the same luggage size and condition but it sure is a lot easier to find it if you put a ribbon or something on your bag that identifies it's yours as it's going through. Um, if you're traveling a long ways away or someplace exotic or or 
anywhere for that matter, um, I suggest leaving some room for souvenirs. Um, I've d done a lot of traveling to China, for instance, and uh, oftentimes having to bring a lot of things back home for people's requests primarily. But um, you want to leave some room. Otherwise, you end up having to buy another piece of luggage, potentially, or carrying another carry-on. or And that's you know may not be something you want to spend your money on. Plus, you may not get exactly what you want or the quality you want. So if you can leave room for bringing stuff back, that would be ideal. But at least have a plan for it. Uh, lastly, I wanted to say pack less than you need. Um, having done a lot of business travel, it's, it's not always ideal or optimum to want to do laundry or find a place to do it or all that. Um, I've been gone for a month, I think was the longest I was ever away from home on one business trip. But the frequent travelers that travel a lot, and I've met quite a few in my career, they pack very light. In fact, they will pack, you know, say one extra change of clothing because you're not going to carry everything you need with you on six months, you know, and not do laundry. So the strategies they use for that is, you know, one, versatile clothing. Um, oftentimes, I think they're washing them day in and day out. So they're wearing one, washing one, swapping, wearing one, washing one. I think a lot of people have done them in their hotel sink. Uh, so things like that. Um, but again, it's difficult to anticipate all your needs. So consider packing light because... There's nothing like lugging a bunch of luggage around that sort of makes it difficult to maneuver when you're in a strange place and you don't know where you're going. And people may be trying to take advantage of you, too, at the airport. So you don't want to have to manage a bunch of extra bags if you don't have to. Um, if you're not checking your bag and you want to use overhead bins or you're just using overhead bins, I have a couple tips here. Um, beware of small airports. If you know you're going into a small airport, that means you're going to be on a small plane. And it also means small planes have small bins. So carriers have, you know, restricted sizes or not to exceed sizes for carry-on type bags. But if you end up on one of these small planes, what they're going to tell you is we're going to have to check your bag for you. So if you are using a carry-on to eliminate fees, that's one thing. They'll check it for free. If you're using a carry-on for speed, then um, you're going to have the same inconvenience. And, you know, with carry-ons, I'm going to talk a, a little bit about it in security in the next item here. But, you know, if you're making a compromise in terms of what you're taking with you to get it all into a carry-on, the last thing you want to do is end up with a checked anyway, right? So... Um, just be, just consider where you're going and what the possible restrictions are. If you, um, or sorry, when you get on the plane, you're going to have the option of one bag overhead and one bag at your feet. So being a frequent traveler, I know people bring more than that on there. It's, 
they don't really monitor that so much and people have odd sized things like guitars and all kinds of things that they bring on um but the to be a courteous traveler i mean the expectation is you're going to have one bag overhead and one bag at your feet i personally usually try to eliminate the overhead one and just keep one at my feet you will have to keep it under the seat until uh, takeoff occurs but then after that you can pull your bag out and put it behind your legs so you end up with the leg room there and that keeps all those items at your fingertips so that you can pull out your book and your you know your phone or whatever you're using there um, and have it with you rather than potentially having to get everyone to move opening the bin overhead having stuff fall out or trying to wrench your bag out when stuff is crammed in there so um, I like keeping I like having one bag and keeping it under my feet but those are the restrictions I will carry on if I have a first class ticket because um, it's then time does really get amplified. You get out of the plane first, you're able to skip the line, you can go. So that's helpful for maybe tight windows on business trips and things. But um, otherwise, I generally check my bag even on business trips. Um, if you select a seat or get put in a bulkhead or emergency seat, um, be aware that you may not have underfoot storage. So that's one reason why I oftentimes don't select those seats because I want to have my bag near me, not because I'm against helping anyone or the extra leg room is nice, but there's only so much leg room you're going to get anyway. It's the side-by-side -side stuff that gets you cramped and not the leg room so much. At least that's what I find. The last thing I wanted to talk about with overhead bins is you're not guaranteed a space. So there are some bins where um, there is emergency equipment in there. And that may be the bin that's above your seat. Crew members stick their bags in there and they may already be in there when you uh, go to try and put your bag in there. So um, just be aware that you may be expecting to have your bag close to you, but it may turn out that it's not over your head um, the good news is your bag will arrive with you because they'll if there's no room at all they'll check it underneath but uh, it takes away some of the advantage of having that bag with you in the first place so that's a little bit about overhead bins uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about was security information so it has been 20 years since the essentially the the current security uh, screening and restrictions have been in place. I'm, I guess, fortunate enough to have traveled before they've been in place, but um, it is definitely a reality today, and I don't see any reason why it would ever change, given when I think about it. You know, it's been since 2001, since essentially the current security procedures have been enacted. But if you're going to take liquids, uh, they need to fit each individual container needs to be 100 milliliters or about 3.3 ounces. And all your liquids need to fit into a one quart size or I think it's one liter maybe. But one quart size bag 
that you have to run through screening. And unfortunately, in 2006, some nutcase tried to, or around 2006, some nutcase tried to light his shoes on fire with a bomb. So now you have to take your shoes off unless you are older than, I think it's 80 or younger than 12 or something like that. But if you fall into that age bracket, then look into that specifically. But I almost always, when I'm traveling for business, wear slip-on shoes so I can just take them off immediately without having to deal with laces or anything. Um, I probably won't on this trip since I'm recording before I leave, but um, just be aware you have to take your shoes off. All electronics larger than a cell phone have to be out. There was a time when an iPad-sized device could stay in your bag, but now anything larger than a cell phone has to come out. Fortunately, it used to be you had to turn it on and off for them. They've gotten rid of that requirement, so that's good. But um, another thing, make sure you don't have anything in your pockets. You don't have any metal on, so I don't wear a belt. I tend to try and pack or wear an outfit that doesn't require a belt so I don't have to deal with that on and off at the security line. Um, if you do, you got to take it off. You also, you can leave your like your wedding ring on, but I think they make you take out earrings and other jewelry as well. Since I don't normally wear that, I don't worry about it, but they do, they will see paper in your pockets even, so no sharp objects. I think that's self-evident. However, I will say I did lose my Letterman, Leatherman uh, mini tool that I was using to clip my keys together. Last trip, um, I for forgot to leave it at home when I left or leave it in the car. Uh, so that's a tip for getting ready to leave. I mean, make sure you don't have things in your baggage or on your person that you're going to lose if you don't want to lose them. I totally forgot. I was in a hurry and threw my keys in my backpack and then they stopped me in security and they said, whose is this? And it added another 20 minutes to something I didn't really want to deal with, nor did I want to lose my Leatherman, but um, it wasn't worth mailing back to myself because it was only $20 and it cost you 15 to do it. I have mailed uh, pocket knives and things back before. Uh, when they have sentimental value, sometimes I'll opt to do that rather than lose it. They'll also let you go back to your car, but if you don't have, you know, hours to do so, then you're going to make that decision. So um, with security, there are some perks or things you can get, um, particularly if you travel internationally or travel a lot. My personal opinion, having pre-checked before, TSA pre-check before is it's nice to have but it's not really worth $75 especially if you'd only travel infrequently um, pre-check does allow you to not have to take your electronics out of your bag and you don't have to take your shoes off and you typically get in a slightly shorter line through security but you know for vacations if you're not carrying that junk then you don't have to worry about taking it out. And if you're prepared to take your shoes off and you don't need to pay the extra $75 and go through the background screen, then 
it's fine you're going to get through the line so don't worry about it um, global entry is another um, international uh, perk you can purchase and that allows you to go through customs much easier it's essentially a, a TSA pre-check version of international travel where um, you get priority clearance saying essentially saying I'm a good guy um, it is has a lot of hurdles to go through you need to uh, be interviewed by the TSA which means you have to take a separate trip up to the airport you need to have an appointment it, it it's at least a four-hour ordeal from the people that I know that have gone through it um, I'm hoping to not have to do a lot of international business travel so I'm not ever planning on doing it. It also costs, I think, around $400. So um, maybe you live in a place where you're close to an airport and you do a lot of international traveling or whatever, then it might be worth it. But you're only saving yourself an hour. And if you're only traveling for vacation, an hour less, that is, and you're only traveling for vacation, then it's really not. I don't think worth the money or the time. Um, if you do travel internationally, beware that you may have to go through customs more than once. So from where I live, uh, flying to Asia, it is most advantageous to fly through Narita in Tokyo. And when you do so, you end up having to go through Japanese customs um, to make your connection. The rules are generally the same, but uh, they, in fact, they might even be a little more permissive. And I think they allow liquids at that point um, due to duty-free sales and other things. But um, the reality is, is you need to check on those details because it very, it could be the case that it is more restrictive where you go to. So. Um, anyway, my point being is you need to look at, you know, what your connections look like and what your feasibility of, um, what you're bringing plays, a, how that plays a factor into, um, the host country's rules. Um, also I wanted to mention whenever you're flying internationally, uh, you at least every time I've ever done it they hand you out a form to fill out before you land and that's presented at customs for your destination nation so have a pen on you I don't know how many times I've done it myself so I, I know I'm guilty but you know for the unaware they don't have a writing instrument they're not prepared to write so they're waiting for five other people to get done so they can borrow someone else's pen but also they're going to want to know where you're staying, address, phone number, all that kind of stuff. So have that available so you can put it down there. I think in the, haven't traveled internationally since COVID, but in the good old days, I'll call them, you could almost write down anything. They wouldn't really check. They wouldn't really know. But with the uh, tracing requirements they have these days, they're going to be, I feel like they're going to be a lot more scrutinous on, um, what you write down there so just be prepared to have an itinerary ready and something to write with also be aware of the duty restrictions for those things you may end up you know if you're bringing 
five cartons of cigarettes, for instance, you may end up having to pay excise tax on that. The general rule, I think, is personal use is allowed, um, you know, for duration. But at some point, personal use becomes, you know, sort of intent to distribute, if you will. So um, check on those requirements as you plan to enter the country. Uh, the next topic I wanted to talk about was administrative items. So things to do for and about your trip. Um, you'll want to notify and check with your bank, your credit cards, and your pr phone provider because um, your debit card may not work or your credit card may not work or it may get denied because you didn't uh, alert them you were going to be out of the country or even traveling for that matter. I've had my credit card denied once when we were moving to South Carolina. I didn't even realize it. Um, I, I didn't alert them and we were driving across country moving and it stopped working in about West Virginia and I didn't even know until we got to the hotel uh, which was in North Carolina later that day. So I actually ended up getting a free tank of gas actually. Um, that I've been, my credit card had been shut off because they said this is an unusual pattern for you. But also when I was in China, for instance, they, my bank said, we do not allow ATM withdrawals in China, period. So, um, I had to use a credit card, you know, for the entire trip. And by the way, in China, um, I was in Shanghai, which is one of the most Western cities, but Visa was not taken everywhere, uh, so it was imperative that we withdraw cash to use because Visa was taken maybe in the core downtown, which is not where I was at. I was in a more outskirt, more rural place, but um, anyway, there were no debit card or cash withdrawal options there, so... You want to check with your bank and credit cards and also with your phone provider. Um, I'm not entirely sure what we're going to see here. I have a feeling that um, we'll be okay on some sort of out-of-country plan. But I can say when our exchange student was with us from Spain, we ended up buying another phone for him to use during that time. So he paid for the plan, but... We ended up buying the phone because his provider didn't uh, work over here. So you'll want to check with that. Of course, Wi-Fi will always work. Beware of public networks and all that other personal security stuff that goes along with it. Um, you'll want to check entry, quarantine, mask, and leaving requirements where you're going. Fortunately for us, the COVID test prior to re-entering the U.S. was just listed lifted on the 12th which as i'm recording this was yesterday so not only does that save us a lot of time in term and and worry but also money you know it was going to be several hundred dollars to buy all the tests and or we were actually going to find a local pharmacy with the help of our host family but I've heard from a lot of people that it was easier to use these third-party services that you do online. and I won't get into it now since uh, it's now been removed, but I'm also not sure about the entire masking requirements and everything locally in Spain. So um, 
you'll want to check into that as much as you can. I plan on bringing a couple masks just in case because I don't want that to be the thing that ruins my vacation. Um, you want to leave an itinerary with some trusted people just in case, you know, for a lot of reasons. You have somebody picking you up, maybe. They want to know what flight you're on so they can check without having to be at the airport all day waiting for you. Or if something, God forbid, goes wrong with your flight, they know, you know, what flight you're on. They'll have an approximate uh, agenda for where you're at. And it also helps, you know, if the, if the uh, embassy needs to get a hold of you, too for some reason uh, they will do things like notify you of you know emergencies family emergencies if they occur uh, so having a way to get a hold of you uh, is helpful and and part of that is having an itinerary and you can use that as well for your customs forms so I would also consider reducing social media posts advertising if you're not home I know for me, I'm making this podcast saying I'm not home, but also know that, um, you know, there's a difference between social media and the people that in your community might be watching your feed or seeing your information or and sort of going out in an ambiguous style on the Internet. So, yeah, it's a bit of a risk, but um, I think, you know, the less you're sort of saying, hey, no one's home, uh, the better off you are. So just consider the risks for it, I guess. Uh, the next topic I want to move on to is personal. So um, one thing I try to refrain from, that is I don't want a lot of logos or brands that identify me as not from around here or that I have money Um I've never really had a problem with that, but uh, I did have an experience one time in Italy where a lot of my, well, some of my peers got pickpocketed, lost a lot of their money and other things. That was a severe inconvenience, obviously, Um, but I just don't want to also advertise it. It's going to be obvious enough with language and you know, traveling around in groups and so on and so forth. But, you know, I'm going to be carrying a backpack that I don't want to just have blazed on. Hey, look at me. I'm not from here. I think in general, this is my personal opinion, but in general, probably European brands are more globally accepted and more globally sort of seen than American brands. Although... You know, I mean, you think about the Ralph Lauren polo logo or something like that. I mean, just stuff that's big, gaudy and obvious. I just want to be the gray man there. You know, I want to have a good time. I don't want to have unnecessary interactions that people are drawn to me just because I look different and stand out. If you're in foreign countries like Mexico, for instance, a safe place to get help and suggestions or hotels so you want a taxi have the hotel call it Um, it's not going to help you get back necessarily but um, they're going to have you know I think I mean on one hand you might not get the quote authentic experience but on the other hand 
you won't get the quote authentic experience you know you don't want to be in mexico city and get into random o ta uh, cab and one have them ring up the bill and two maybe you don't get to where you're going right so having the hotel recommend private tour guides and calling taxis and even to some degree restaurant uh, suggestions they're going to send you to places that they send other tourists to that are you know they're going to have a, at least a good experience and not end up getting kidnapped <laughs> or something like that um, I would say you know with other travel things trust your gut because if it doesn't look right or feel right it may not be right um, it very well could be and again I've never had anything real negative happen I know when I was in China I'm pretty convinced that some of the ta cab drivers did rack up the the, the uh, tab on there but um, there's not a lot you can do when you're you know out of when it's in someone else's control I mean I suppose if you could jump out if it was a life and death situation but you know if, if a situation doesn't feel right then trust your gut and it's better to be safe than sorry I wanted to talk about allow plenty of time I've mentioned an incident or two where um, I've missed the plane uh, when I'm talking about plenty of time here I'm really talking about if you're trying to get somewhere to do something like ie a meeting for business or um, you know say a party let's say it's important right um, you may be better off in fact this is what I would suggest is getting there a day beforehand because um, things are not going you know 100% smoothly with the airlines you can be delayed I saw a flight on my last trip that was delayed it was supposed to leave at 8 a.m. and the people didn't board until 4 my specific flight was supposed to leave at four and we didn't board until about 7 30. so if you're cutting your timelines really close beware that there are risks to that in terms of you know getting to your destination on time um, that's really what i'm talking about for allowing plenty of time i hate uh, being at the airport for an extended amount of time when i don't have to be trust me uh, it's a frequent flyer I see all that time is really wasted but if you have to evaluate what's more important is your event more important than you know the the time that it takes to get there then you better be safe than sorry so when you're planning your trip look at those times and and consider that you know you could be up to 12 to 16 hours later than you expected um, I would say one other th another thing I do is I monitor my consumptions of liquid so I don't have to get up and use the bathroom a lot during the flight. It's difficult to resist the temptation to sit in the bar when your flight's been delayed and knock a few back, but you know all those come with consequences, right? So uh, you drink two 24 ounce beers and pretty soon you got to use the restroom a bunch of times that's not fun being on a plane especially if you're not in the aisle seat either but you can't just get up and go whenever you want to so 
I do try to minimize the amount of liquids that I'm drinking while I'm on the flight or before the flight for that reason. Also, uh, sort of part and parcel with that, be courteous. Uh, flight crews have the power to remove you for various reasons, and being too drunk is one of them. So, fortunately, I've never violated that rule, but I have seen others not make their flights because they've been denied for being too drunk. Also, people have been denied for the clothing they wear, which, you know, I think is kind of silly, but was deemed too risque for getting on the airplane. And I have had several flights been turned back for refusing to put on masks. Now, fortunately, I think all mask mandates are now canceled, at least within the U.S. But my point here is that the flight crews have the power to, to remove you, and they will if you become belligerent. So be courteous to them. I think, you know, it's it's not easy dealing with a hundred plus people that, especially if your flight's late, may be angry and all that stuff. But I think, you know, they're going to do the best they can to get you to where you're going. I don't know that they're going to guarantee they get you when they say, but when, um, when they say, when you want to, but, uh, I feel like, you know, karma, the, the nicer you are and the better you are with it. Uh, the more likely you're going to have a successful outcome. So those are really the sort of the best practices I put together for a second podcast here. And I just wanted to remind you that uh, this is altf4.co. In your programming, do things that matter. <laughs>